Robin, who uh, some of you may know because I think they've done, uh, they did some of the Alpha courses here at the church with us, um, I think a couple of years ago now, maybe, two years back now. Uh, but they're, uh, like I said last week, they're going to be talking about um, the top 10 relational needs. So uh, I'll invite them to come up and they'll share a little bit about their ministry so you'll get to know them a little bit as well. So it's all yours. Thank you, Matt. Thanks, Peter. Um, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it later. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming us here. It's good to be back at Katoomba Lighthouse. Um, it wasn't actually the Alpha courses. We did something called a redemption course uh, that was kind of connected to the counseling that uh, Wendy Koneman had been doing for a number of years, and we were involved with that as well. So um, my wife, Robin, just here behind Peter, <laughs> and I, um, we have been uh, living overseas in the Arab world for about 25 years um, as missionaries there, and about three years, a little bit more than that, we came back to Australia. Robin's Australian. And uh, I'm not, obviously. <laughs> well, I guess it's not that obvious because I could have, like my son, have a, an American accent but be Australian in passport. Um, uh, anyway, we came back about three years ago and we've been kind of uh, here trying to uh, support our boys as they launch off into adult life. And... Um, yeah, and so when we when we came back, we were involved with uh, with the counseling ministry and the early morning prayer that was happening here at the church for for quite a while. And um, Ro uh, Robin's best friend growing up is Wendy Koneman. So if you know Wendy, that's um, our connection um, to her. And um, yeah, so um, let me just get my notes here. Um, yeah, so today um, we're going to talk about relational needs, uh, but uh, I wanted to start just uh, a couple of weeks ago, or a few few weeks ago now, I guess, Robert and I went with our church to hear a guy speak in Sydney um, called Sam Chan. Has anyone ever heard of Sam Chan? Oh, well, look him up. He's a good guy. Uh, <laughs> he's... Uh, he's uh, Sydney Sider. He's a uh, he's a medical doctor, and he's uh, he's written a number of books uh, because his real passion is evangelism, and um, and so in this talk that he gave, he was talking about um, what are the things that are influencing people for the gospel. Why is it that people are interested in the gospel? And one of the things that he was saying um, that's come out from some of the research is that. It has a lot less to do with a logical explanation and has a lot more to do with relationship. People are much more likely to believe something because they're surrounded by a number of people who believe the same thing. And so he was challenging us to mix our worlds up, you know. If we spend all our time with people, Christians, who all believe the same thing, then as the, the, wide, the wise Christian said, we could get a bit constipated. And <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, and, um, and so he's trying to say, how do, we get, how do we get together with people so that they can be exposed to people that are actually thinking differently than they are? Um, so... That was a few weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, we were actually in uh, Peter and Kirsten's uh, kind of stomping grounds. We were in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we were, yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, so we heard some, 
we heard some really excellent teaching while we were there, and we, we heard a guy called Alton Garrison, who is uh, the Assistant General Superintendent of the Assemblies of God. It's a pretty fancy title. Um, but he was talking to us about church growth and discipleship, and one of the things that he was saying about studies that they've been doing about, like, what's keeping people in the church? What keeps people um, attached to the body of Christ? And, and, and what he said um, is very similar. It has a lot more to do with relationship than it does with teaching. And again, this is not to put aside teaching, say it's not important, all the different disciplines that we might find in the church, those are all absolutely vital and important, but, but they have to be connected to relationship. Relationship is what's drawing people to the gospel, and it's what's keeping people in the church. So, um, let's see. Um, Francis, can you... Oh, there we go. Awesome. Thank you. You're awesome. I'll tell you what. He's on the ball, that guy. Uh, um, uh, so, in John chapter 13, as you probably know, or if you're familiar with the, the gospel of John, the second half of the book... Uh, Pretty much all of it seems to be this last night with Jesus and his disciples, right? And he says so many powerful, amazing um, things that John records for us, which I think is still amazing. One of the most amazing things to me is that John's gospel was written at the very end. Like he was one of the most, the, the, the latest of the writers. So he's really old, like in his 90s. And, and, and what does he remember? He remembers tons and tons of stuff from this very last night with Jesus. And this, is, and this is one of the things that he records that Jesus spoke to his disciples. He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I've loved you, that you love one another. <clears throat> by this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So obviously, we've all heard this lots and lots of times. It's repeated. I mean, John in his epistles and in his gospel, throughout the Bible, we're, we're, we're confronted with this, this command that God gives us to, to love. And so we believe it. But what does it, actually, what does it actually look like to do it? <clears throat> and here is Robin. Um, so I love it, like it says here, love one another, that you love one another as I have loved you, as I have loved you. So it's kind of like we're supposed to love each other like Jesus loved us, right? So how? How did Jesus love us? You know, I was thinking about this <coughs> and um, thinking about how did he love his disciples? You know, things, he encouraged them. You know, like at one point they didn't know what to do and he said, no, you can do it. He said, go out, two by two. You've seen what I've been doing. You can do it. You know, that was encouraging them. Um, he was affectionate with them the same night. You know, you think about the, the turmoil that must have been in Jesus' heart. You know, he knows that he's going to get beaten and crucified and he's going to die. You know, that kind of tension. And yet John lays his head on his chest, on Jesus' chest, and that affection, you know, Jesus gives him affection. Um, he, um, he paid attention to them. He, he, he knew them. Like he says to Peter, you are, you are Peter. You are the rock that I'm going to build my church on. You know, he knew them. He knew who they were. Um, think of Mary and Martha when their brother Lazarus died. He came alongside them. He wept with them. He comforted them. So this is the way that Jesus loved us and he has commanded us in that way we are to love one another. It's powerful, powerful. So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm just going to share a little bit of our story. Um, about 14 years ago, so we had already lived in the Arab world for about 15 years or something like that, um, we were introduced to um, a ministry called Intimate Life Ministries and a man called Dr. David Ferguson who had done a lot of research around what it means to love one another. 
and um, he had done a PhD in theology and a PhD in psychology and kind of put them all together. And he came up with, with what he called the ten relational needs. And um, we'll hand out, we've got a handout that we'll hand out to you in just a minute. Um, but it was really, um, when we got exposed to this, it really helped us understand to put the meat on this how. Like how do we love one another well and gave us some really good tools. And it transformed our marriage. Um, we, um, our oldest daughter was just about to enter her teenage years, so it was really, really helpful for us as we went into this season of parenting teenagers. Um, it also impact, impacted our community. We were um, working in team with people overseas, and I don't know, you've, you support some missionaries, I know, and one thing we, we found when people move overseas, it's pretty stressful. It's pretty stressful and you don't have all the same supports that you have in your home country, your home community. And so sometimes people start unraveling. And so this was the, these principles and putting these things into practice really impacted our, our team life and how we loved each other well and supported each other through that. So, um, yeah, so it had an impact in all these, um, all these areas. Um, one thing that we've found, too, is that a lot of times... We, you know, like um, Kristen was sharing, you know, like different people come alongside us in God's community and they um, Im input into our lives. They impact us. They love us. They love us in some of these ways. And by um, remembering these things, by giving testimony to these things, we actually are spurred on and encouraged in our faith. And so what we want to do um, now is to share some of those stories um, but before we do that Matt's going to share a few stories from his own life of ways in which he has been loved well and spurred on in his faith. Thank you. Um, yeah so in thinking about what that what that love looks like um, uh, I was remembering back to my childhood when I was uh, really small probably about five years old um, at the church that I grew up in, uh, there was this, uh, this little old lady who, um, even at that time, she was a little old lady. Um, she was, uh, her name was Thurley McAdams, and she was the most beautiful person you could imagine. And she had a passion for, for children. She worked with a ministry called the Child Evangelism Fellowship, and they used to create uh, Sunday school material and all kinds of material to kind of uh, teach children and that was her passion and so she was the Sunday school teacher and um, so I was in her class and she she would tell me after that point actually I don't to honestly I don't actually have a very strong memory of this but apparently I came forward at Sunday school and I committed my life to Jesus and I asked him to come into my heart and take my life over you know and um, so it's interesting because I don't have this strong memory of that, but she used to, she used to preach that to me whenever she'd see me. She's like, I remember that day, and I remember what you did and what that, and, 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 and this is who you are. This is, she would tell me about the choice that I'd made and, and who that, what that meant about who I was. And she prayed for me regularly throughout my life, and she was probably, um, when Robert and I decided to go overseas to do ministry, she was one of the first people to really sign up and, and be a faithful prayer for us. Um, so, um, yeah, um, this next scripture, um, it uh, comes from Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So if you look at your paper there, there's, one, uh, there's, there's 10 different needs, and one of them is called approval. And we like to distinguish the difference between approval and appreciation. Appreciation is about things that you do. People notice and they say, thank you. But approval is not necessarily connected to what you do it's about who you are so here at this point in Jesus ministry before anything is really recorded about 
the amazing things that he's done, right? There's a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Something about who he is at his core is spoken by this awesome heavenly voice, right? And so for me, at that uh, tender age of five, where I didn't really know a lot about my identity, Thurney McAdams was that voice speaking into me about who I was. Um, later, at another very difficult time in my life, when I was about um, 13 or so, uh, as a new teenager, uh, I, that was a really difficult time in my life. I remember a lot of, uh, a lot of bullying at, in a school situation. I felt uh, very much out of place, that I didn't fit in. Those are like lots of memories around that at that time of my life. Um, and there was, a, there was a gentleman at our church called Roger Dibble, and, uh, and he, I don't even know why, uh, but he decided to come alongside me, and he used to take me places. And um, uh, he introduced me to, uh, to video games. Back in those days, you didn't play them on, a, on, on your television or at home you would go to an arcade, and they had something that was the very first time that I was ever exposed to something called Space Invaders. Um, and I think I might have played um, Pac-Man, was absolutely brand new at the time, um, that, uh, that he used to take me to this arcade. And he had amazing taste in, in music. He, used to, he played the guitar and the bass, and um, he always had really cool music playing in his car and he used to invite me over to his house. He, had, uh, he was married and had some small children, uh, maybe just one child at that point, um, and just made me feel really welcome. Um, so um, the next, uh, Fran Francis, sorry. Um, yeah, you're not gonna be able to read that one, but <laughs> <laughs> that's okay, no, you don't have to, you don't have to zoom in. Um, anyway, but it comes from John chapter four, and it's a story about the Samaritan woman, right? And you all know this story, that there's, here's a woman who's also experienced rejection and shame, so much so that when she has to go to the well to get water for her household, she chooses to go at the hottest time of the day so that she can avoid other people because she knows what it's like to feel shame and to feel rejection right? And in that context, Jesus attends to her. He gives her attention. And that's shocking to her. She's like, what's going on here? Like, I'm a woman, first of all, and a Samaritan. How is it that you're talking to me, right? And um, she experiences two things. One of them is attention, but she also experiences acceptance, right? She's got all this shame and all this stuff that she's trying to cover up, and Jesus exposes it. And she feels received, accepted by him in such a powerful way that if you looked down towards the end of the story, um, she goes out in verse 29. She goes back into the village and she says to all the, all the people, to the men it says here in this translation, come and see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? So basically everyone who knows this woman's reputation is they're looking at her and they're like, whoa, he accepted you? <laughs> hey, it sounds like there's hope for me. And they all head out to meet Jesus. Like that's good news to experience attention, to experience acceptance, transforms lives. Um, and that's part of what I experienced from um, my friend Roger Dibble. Um, the very first time that I was ever really formally discipled wasn't until after Robert and I had actually um, been uh, on the field as missionaries for a couple of years. And my friend Dick Scoggins um, came alongside me, and we used to read the Bible together, and um, 
one of the things in that case is that he, he, uh, he really went deep and he asked me a lot of difficult questions, you know, and he would, and, and he could tell the places where I was uncomfortable and where I was experiencing some shame. And he knew that the only way for me to really break free from bad habits was to be able to co totally come clean and to be honest with somebody. And I hadn't experienced that in the body of Christ up to that point. I hadn't really um, had a place where I felt safe to do that. But he was that place for me. And I could tell that he believed in me and that it was safe to tell him those things. And he had, he had really practical ideas of, of, of how um, to overcome those things. Um, he taught me this prayer, I remember, that he called the blast prayer that you pray when you're in, um, when you're in temptation. And you, you start out with uh, B, B stands for the blood of Christ, and then uh, L stands for lordship, submitting whatever those thoughts, those ideas to the lordship of Christ. And then A is the authority of Christ at that point that you can like reject in Jesus' name whatever it is that's attacking you. And then S is the spirit of Christ asking that you have a fresh indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And T, he said, you just spend time in Thanksgiving until all those thoughts are completely gone. And um, yeah. Yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah, anyway, that's one of the gems that I got from my friend Dick Scoggins. Um, so um, the next passage um, from Romans 15:7. Therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. So just as Christ accepted the, the, the Samaritan woman, just as Christ uh, has accepted each of us, that's how we need to be able to accept other people, to be that safe place for them. Next one, Francis. Um, so this is another amazing story, right, with Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector, right, which was like the... The, the worst of the sinners back in, in, in Jesus' day. And he's so ashamed um, about how far he is from being acceptable to someone like Jesus who has the power of God on him, that who, who heals the sick and, and the blind, right? And who preaches to people. He feels like he's, he's got nothing to do with this guy. But he's fascinated at the same time. Climbs up in the tree, and you know, you know the story, right? And Jesus comes to him and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Right? So what we have to understand in the Middle Eastern context is that when you say, I'm going to your house, that doesn't mean that you and I are going to go and hang out. Right? Because they live in community in the Middle East. And so when you go and say, I'm going to go hang out at your house, that means I'm hanging out with all your people. All those kind of, that, that kind of people, right? The kind of people that, that Zacchaeus hung out with, right? And so that wasn't just accepting Zacchaeus as an individual, but his whole community. He's saying, I want to be with you guys today. I want to spend the day with you. And the amazing thing is that we don't, we don't see anything recorded in this story of any kind of finger wagging, any kind of like, you know what? You really need to stop this behavior. It's bad. Don't do that. Right? None of that happens. And yet, probably the most dynamic uh, story of repentance is recorded here. Right? Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Right? So, <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, those are some of my experiences. Uh, three, three stories that I gave you. Um, and um, I was reading this morning in Revelation chapter 19, and it's talking about... Uh, uh, it's talking about the, the bride of Christ, the church, and the deeds that she has done, it, it describes them as, as a white gown that she puts on, 
right? This is at the end, right? This wedding that we're all looking forward to, this white gown that she puts on are all these beautiful deeds. So as I've told you these stories, I'm just, I'm just looking at the beautiful gown, right? Looking at this beautiful gown, and each of us have that. Like, how, how, do, we, how do we actually see that beautiful gown? It's part of it is telling those stories. So I want to give you an opportunity now. Is that right? Are you doing it now? No, you, I am. Um, so, so in order for you to love your neighbor, right, in order for you to learn something about these relational needs, you're going to have to find a neighbor, okay? So find someone uh, that you trust that you can now tell a story. What I want you to do is to tell a story about some experience that you've had that made you love the body of Christ more, where you were alone, like I was at those different times, and Jesus noticed, and he sent you someone to care for you well. And the, the 10 needs that you're looking at there might be helpful to get your mind going. I've already told you some stories to get you going. So, um, so just, you have at least five minutes, so just take your time and find someone to tell stories to. <clears throat> And don't let anyone be alone. So have a look around you. <laughs> it could be anybody. It could be, it could be your spouse.
just one more minute and then we'll um, come back together. Okay, <laughs> I'll just get your attention again. So, how was that for you? Good. Yeah, it is good. Like what, what kind of emotions does it create when you tell stories like that? Besides feeling good, what are, what, can anybody be a little bit more specific about how you, f how you feel? Connected? You feel connected? Nice. Yes. F feel seen and heard? Okay. Humbled? Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow, like a deep sense of gratitude. Yes, in recognizing God's that he was there. Yes. Hmm. Good. Um Matt referred to earlier that um verse in Revelation where the um our acts are like a beautiful robe that we that we wear that that his church wears. Um, a little bit later in that same passage, it talks about the testimony of Jesus being the spirit of prophecy. And um, I think we know that, you know, like when we go back to um, the John 13 passage that Jesus said, you know, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. So his desire is that we love one another. So he is going to empower us by the Holy Spirit to love one another well. So when we do these things, like all the stories that you just told, people have joined with Jesus to minister with Jesus in someone else's life. When we tell those stories like we did just now, we're giving the testimony of Jesus, what Jesus has done. He's done something, you know, he's, he knows what's going on in our lives. He sees us and he sends someone along to minister to us. And when you hear those stories, isn't it inspiring? Don't you think, whoa, I want to do that. I want to love other people well because I've heard a story of how I can join with Jesus and love other people well. And this is one manifestation, I think, of the spirit of prophecy, that it stirs something in us and urges us to do his works. So... Um... um 
Another thing too, gratitude. You know, it stirs up gratitude in our hearts. And I think gratitude is such a great motivator. You know, if, if, um, if Matt comes to me and he says, you know, when you, when you listen to me well, that just really ministered so well to my heart. You know, when I hear that, I think, oh, I could do that again. <laughs> I could do that again. <laughs> if he says to me, you never listen to me. You're always too busy. You know, I just feel like you never pay attention to me. Not so motivating, yeah? So I think, you know, stirring up that gratitude, you know, that we can actually do things and love each other well is a really huge thing. So what I'd just like you to do now is, as you, you've told stories, I'd like you to look at that sheet that we gave you with the 10 relational needs and just think about what need was it that was being met in my life. So as, as this person gave this to me, what was it that um, was being met for me? And um, I, I'd like, I'd just give you a minute or so to look at that, and then I just would like if one or two people would like to share um, what they observed. So, um, just befo before I get one of you to share, I'll just share quickly um, a story from my childhood and my church experience. Um, there was a family at our church that um, the, the dad was the superintendent of the Sunday school, <coughs> and back in those days, a long time ago, um, they used to have these things, scripture memory um, competitions, and I was quite young, I, ca I can't remember exactly how old I was, but my sister, who was two years older than me, she was um, learning all these Bible passages and she was going to be in this competition. And at the last minute, she got sick and she couldn't do it. And I had actually been shadowing her as she'd been learning all these scriptures. And so I just said, oh, I could, I could take her place. And, um, and so I did, and apparently I did really, really well. I can't remember exactly how well I did, but this man, um, Dennis Padgett, would, would tell me for years to come, oh, you just have such a love of God's word, and you, you just came, and you were so little, and you just remembered all these things, and, and it just really um, made me feel really special. It made me feel like I was known, that I was appreciated for who I was, and, I, and it's still... To this day, we have a really. Dennis passed away a couple of years ago, but his his kids um, are really um, precious to us and they're really special special friends. So that's my story. So does someone else have a story? Oh, so I guess I didn't tell you the need. So I think that was the need of appreciation because it was something that I did, and also attention because it you know noticed who I noticed me noticed you know that I was important. Yeah. Um, do you want to bring? The, I could bring the microphone to you. Thank you. Um, I guess there's an overlap in terms of the areas covered, but it'd probably make more sense if I just share the, the situation. In uh, 1995, I was diagnosed with a melanoma, which absolutely gripped me, and realised, despite the fact that I'd been a Christian for a long time just what a coward <laughs> I was um, at the prospect of um, dying. And um, so I sank very low emotionally and I spent a lot of time in bed reflecting. And the thing that 
I guess probably got to me the most was that this experience was to be faced alone. You know, that's the thing that no one could hold your hand through this event. You were on your own and that was it. And um, I remember one early evening lying in bed thinking, feeling sorry for myself, wondering what would um, occur. Um, and my son, Chris, who at that stage was probably about 10 years of age, um, he had accepted Christ and he just came and lay down next to me. And I can't remember the specific words, but clearly, you know, they were words of affection and comfort and, and support. They, they were overlapping in terms of what that meant. And obviously I'm here to talk about it, so um, God decided I, there were still things for me to do. And, you know, as many of you know, Chris has gone on, he's 34 years of age now and um, he's an Anglican minister and last year he had a book published on depression and, and faith um, called Down, Not Out. And I'm sure that there were influences, even in his developmental years, that um, God was using, has continued to use, as part of his own ministry, but he was able to minister to me in a very special way. Wow, thank you so much. What a beautiful, beautiful story. Just one thing about that is um, one, of the, one of the primary things about these needs is that, is that um, God notices that we're alone and he doesn't want us to be alone. So... Whatever, whatever, which, whatever cho one you choose to apply in that particular situation, the most significant thing is that you felt that maybe you were alone, and this story shows how you weren't. Yeah, it's beautiful. Teresa? So I have twin boys, men now. They're 34. <laughs> and um, when they were um, coming into their teenage years, um, we... Um, so I was a single mom of three, and Jake and Josh were um, golf caddies. And <laughs> Josh had decided to um, steal a cigar from one of the golfers out of his golf bag. And uh, later on that day, Josh came home late, and Jake had walked in the house a little bit earlier. And, um, you know, as a single mom, you, you always have that nagging fear behind you that you're alone, that you have to face all this alone, and you have to really, really protect your kids from doing anything wrong. And so Jay, Josh had come in the house, ran upstairs into the bathroom, and we were headed to church. And I knocked on the door. I said, you need to get going. We're leaving. And I said, I don't know what you're doing. And I opened the door, and this billow of <laughs> cigar just, and I freaked. I lost it. I called Pastor Sharon and I said, I'm coming over. I, you're not going to believe what's happened. And she goes, what's happened? You know, she's thinking, you know, there's a hospital involved or something's going on. I ran over to the house and um, drove over there and left Jake and Josh because I was just so afraid. Because in my mind, it went from the cigar to smoking cigarettes to smoking pot to doing cocaine to, you know, all of a sudden his life is in total disarray and this poor kid just wanted to try a cigar. <laughs> so I'm sitting in front of Pastor Bill and Pastor Sharon in their living room and um, I'm pouring out my heart. I'm just so devastated that this happened. And I'm, I'm down like this and I hear this. <coughs> I look up and they're like literally holding their mouths from busting out laughing. And they hugged me, they loved on me, they encouraged me that it all is gonna be just fine. <laughs> but it, it just, even though there was a little giggle to it, it was comforting. It was, they gave me the attention that I, need, I needed as a single mom at that moment, that I wasn't alone, it comforted me. Um, even the laughter comforted me. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the laughter actually broke the fear. Um, there's, 
there's so much on here that they, they gave me affection. They gave me even appreciation as a single mom. We understand what you're going through. You know, all parents go through this. They didn't shame me. And it was just one of those loving moments that from a single mom, I knew I wasn't alone and that I had people surrounding me. <laughs> so. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, and I think it, this kind of ties in to what we were talking about earlier, what Sam Chan had challenged us with about how people uh, stay in the church. Oh, no, that, that was um, Alton Garrison. People stay in the church because of relationship. You know, when we're really stressed, when we're really in difficulty, that the, the relationship that we have, the way that we can love each other, the way that Jesus has loved us, really impacts us and creates our community. Um, I just wanted to share a testimony of some, a way that we applied this thing that we'd heard from Sam Chan about merging our worlds, you know, allowing our non-Christian friends to experience something of what Christian community is. Um, and we did this just two weeks ago. We, um, so we, at, we go to a church in Sydney called Anchor Church, which is in Marrickville, meets in Marrickville, but it's a very inner city church, very young. Um, and a lot of people that don't have a lot of family and community around them. And so we um, meet in what we call gospel communities. So they're like our home groups. And um, so our, the gospel communities were challenged to do a, like a dinner party or something just around Easter to invite their non-Christian friends to. So um, we, we did that with our gospel community and we had 14 people came, 14 non-Christians, and there were 18 of us. So that was 32 people. And you know the inner city does not have very large houses. So it was snug. And, um, but I just want to share a couple of testimonies of some of the people that came and the feedback that we got from the um, people that um, we were able to share with that day. Well, and, and everyone contributed. The food was amazing. You know, everyone just went all out to do the best job that they could do. So it was a really lovely spread of food and everything. So one of our um, group members goes to TAFE, and so she invited one of her TAFE friends. Um, and this TAFE friend is um, on Centrelink benefits, so, you know, it's pretty tight. So she wouldn't often get invited to something like that that had such a generous um, spread of food, and she was really, really blessed by that. She was really blessed that people were really interested in her and wanted to hear about her story. And so being able to really attend to her and and listen to her, and she really felt valued and significant. At one point she said, how often do you do this, you know? <laughs> Let me know next time, I want to come, you know? And, and, then, um, and then when we left, there was still quite a lot of food left over, and you know how you, when you get takeaway, you get those little plastic containers, so I had a ton of those. So we just kind of gave food to people who would like to take it home. Well, she then said to her friend later on, she said, I was really blessed by all that food because it meant I didn't have to buy much that week and you know and so that so that kind of supported her so she felt you know this this love um, in in a multitude of ways and so this is a way that we're trying to um, yeah share the love of Jesus in a tangible way with people that don't know him yet one of the other families that came um, was uh, um, they did, they have a young they have a six-year-old daughter um, uh, so hadn't been married like really, really long. Um, and, uh, the husband had, has a really high power job in the IT field and he has a lot of people under his leadership and, um, yeah, just a lot of pressure that he's, that he's under at work. And I think just having people listen to him, find out about what's going on with him at work and some of the pressures that he goes, that he's under, but also kind of recognizing, like, look at what you're doing in this situation. Like, there's a whole culture of that's going on in your in your in your workplace, and you are actually a a, a, cult, a change agent that's that's bringing in different values into this situation, and uh, and you have an amazing opportunity to do that there. And he was like, oh. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I was like, I think he was a little bit, he wasn't quite ready to go all the way when I was saying, and, you know, and, and Jesus is the most amazing culture change leader that could actually mentor you in this. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> so he was kind of like agreeing, but kind of like not ready to sort of jump in and say, 
I'm ready to submit myself to that, you know. Um, but it was a good start, I think, uh, you know, for him to be exposed to that. Um, another person that came, um, so another member of our group, um, she also works in the, is it IT or? Anyway, it's, it's, it's a very technical kind of thing. She's a, she's, I think she did an engineering degree and she's really, really brilliant. Anyway, one of her co-workers who is a new graduate, so he's just finished uni and he's in this really very high-pressured job. I mean, just really, really a lot of stress. And, um, and you know, he's living in the city alone and doesn't often get good food and he loves good food and he, the food, oh, the food, just ministered to him and he went back seconds he went back for thirds and he <laughs> he was just so so thrilled and so I think that really met his need for comfort and acceptance <laughs> so he was really really happy <laughs> I think the whole idea of bringing someone into a home as well and what that feels like to be in a home uh, if it's possible to do that I mean obviously space can make it a challenge but in this case you know it was a sacrifice to try and fit uh, 32 people into our small inner city um, townhouse, but, uh, but, it, but it was really meaningful. So, um, thanks, thanks, Dal. Um, so, I want to just um, look at this passage here from Matthew chapter 11. It says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think when we look, I love hearing these stories, and, and as my brother in the back was saying about how the stories actually well up inside of us, this gratefulness about how God sees and he notices and he's meeting our needs. But sometimes when we ourselves are looking around ourselves and seeing the needs that might be in this church or in our, with our non-Christian neighbors around us, we might feel like, oh, I don't know whether I feel adequate. I don't, know the, I don't know what I can offer. I don't know whether I can do what needs to be done to meet these needs, right? And so um, Jesus is encouraging us here, right? And I think if you, if you think about it, when Jesus was traveling around with his disciples, um, they didn't have like a, a PowerPoint slide that came up on, on, the, on the screen so that you could look at that. Um, they were out in the wilderness, right? There's all the, all the hills of Palestine. You know, they were looking at these hills. And on those hills, there's this patchwork of fields, right? The hills of, of, of Palestine are very rocky, stony fields. So when, when it's plowing time, then um, as they're plowing, they're pulling out more and more stones and building up the fences that you have in those kind of climates where there's lots of the stones. So each of the fields has these stone fences around it that are getting piled up higher and higher as they find more stones. Um, so the disciples are with Jesus and they're looking around. They're looking at these, these pictures of this field. But each of those fields is a place that God is deeply concerned with, right? So he's looking at each of the fields of, of the people in this room and he has plans, right? A good, a good farmer is thinking into the future. He has good plans. He has good plans for getting rid of those obstacles, the stones and those other things that are in the way of growth. He has good plans for thinking about like, what are we going to plant in this next season? You know, I've got this new, this new challenge for, uh, for my brother, Mark, um, in, in work, at work, at his work, in his workplace. And there's some specific crops that are going to come up in this coming season. He's already at work thinking about that and, and sowing, planting, all of those different things, right? He's the one doing the work, but he's asking us to join him, right? All he's saying is, 
I'm in the oak, right? Because that's how it works. If you're a farmer and you have yoked animals, there is an older, more experienced animal who's been doing this, the expert animal, right? And, and, and the younger animal gets yoked with that older animal and they, and they plow together, right? But the leading, the main plowing is really, is really the older animal, right? And so that's what he's saying to us. He's like, all you do, all I'm asking for you to do is to join me. Have a look. I'm already at work in this field here, and all I want you to do is join me. Don't stress about it. Don't try to work so hard to figure out what it is. Just respond. Just look at me in my face. Join me in what I'm doing. And then we add to those stories. Each story, each thing that we told today adds to that beautiful gown that the bride of Christ is going to wear at the end. And we get to join him in doing that. So, um, I'd like to just pray for us. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for um, the way that you loved your disciples, the way that you love us. Thank you, Lord, for these testimonies as we have have noticed, Lord, that you are always at work, that you have good plans, good things that you're doing, and that you're... Um, and so as we've given thanks, as we've given testimony to those to those things, I pray that you would multiply them and that you would fill our heart with, uh, with faith and courage, Lord, to step into new situations where we, would, where we would offer love, where we would offer care to people around us, Lord, where we would reproduce these good stories of care and love. Lord, we um, thank you for this challenge, Lord, that it's uh, by the way that we love each other that people will know that we're your disciples and so it's we say this is it's for your namesake for your glory that we ask you lord to keep us on track with this that you would remind us that we wouldn't just leave this building and forget about what we've heard lord but that we would put it into practice yeah so we ask you for your help and we thank you that um that this is your heart lord we thank you for the work that you're doing and that you're just asking us to join you. And so we, we say yes, Lord. We agree. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, just in closing, I wanted just to say something about these 10 relational needs. You've got this thing that you can take away with you. Um, uh, but one of that's one of the things that Robert and I love doing is uh, is studying these more in depth. What do they actually look like? Um, I think one of the most significant things is being able to recognize when other people like like how they happen in different relationships. But but uh, what's significant is is what that looks like for each individual person, right? Um, Robin's story, for example, was about appreciation, which has always been a really important need for her. So as her husband, and as the primary person that needs to be loving her well and meeting her need, I need to hear those stories and think, oh, I need to be the first person taking initiative to meet that need for appreciation, because that's really important to her. Because appreciation actually isn't such a big deal for me. So it's not my natural thing to do, right? Because I don't personally, it doesn't mean that much to me. Um, but, um, but it means a lot to her. So I think part of that is like the idea of getting together to study it is like we learn to hear those stories and be able to figure out better how do we do that for that person in a way that's specially meaningful to them. So I don't just think, oh, I like respect this way, and so I'm going to give respect to Peter this way because that's why I like it. You know, well, first of all, I need to find out if respect is Peter's higher need, and then I need to find out from some of his own stories what did respect look like for him in the past and how can I do it that way because that's what's meaningful to him. Um, 
Yeah, so we're um, very possibly going to be uh, starting a study on these 10 relational needs at the Rogan's house uh, in the future. Uh, so uh, if you're interested, you could talk to them about it. Um, but there's some cards that talk about some of the other, other studies that we do. Um, we, one of our biggest things that we love doing is taking people away for a workshop where we look at how you how these needs were met for you as you're growing up and the kind of ways that you learn to love each other. And so uh, part of it's learning to grieve maybe things that, uh, that you missed out on and so that you can move on to th from that, but also being able to celebrate, like we did today, ways that your needs were met so that you can build on those and make them stronger. Yeah, Mark. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. We have we have we happen to have somebody that's already been to one of these. Um, about a month ago, I guess. Um, we did the weekend at um, Matt and Robin's place up at Kilcare. Um, I think Teresa and I are at that stage of our lives where we realise that we have needs that need to be met, and we've got these these broken parts of our lives that we want healing in and trying to understand all that so um, Matt and Robin suggested that because we'd been talking to them about some of these issues and um, and it was it was an incredibly powerful weekend there were two other couples that we'd never met um, and you get in front of these people and there's a bit of background work done first and then you draw a diagram a bit of your family and you tell your story and uh, not only for yourself to have people that you've never met see your and hear your story like actually hear it and respond to it and comment about it um, uh, and just to feel um, their, con their connection to you and their, their love for you and their, um, and their wanting to support you and encourage you uh, is, is amazingly powerful um, but to see them respond to your partner and to hear your partner like you hear it through your own filters but to get them to, to, to hear what how they respond through their upbringing and their filters and to hear them pour into your partner and speak into their lives it really shifts things in you it gives you it gets you outside of yourself and gets you to hear what other people see that your blind spots don't allow you to see. And it was, it was an amazing weekend. We made some, some really strong connections. And, um, and I really encourage you. And, and part of the reason why we want to do these nights or however it's going to happen is because it's like the tip of the iceberg. Like there's, you, you cover off these things at, at a very um, important level just to understand it. But then these workshops these nights or whatever go into each one in more depth and allow you to explore them um, together but in a, in a surrounding so I just encourage anybody to put you know just take whatever you can get and you don't need to do the workshop first you can probably do that later but I mean Matt and Robin can fill you in on that but um, yeah so if you want to do it we you know we can do it one night um, we're open we're pretty flexible on which nights they're at. So just let us know and we can try and put something together. It doesn't need to be a big group. We don't need to get like five or ten couples, even if there's like, well, medals. Robin can say, even if it's like two or three apart from us. So, anyway. Thanks, Mark. Great. Well, that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you, yeah, Kirsten, for trusting us. Uh, so we put um, some of their cards that show all of the different ministries and different workshops and things they have. There's some just sitting out on the table uh, right by the front door where we have the lighthouse uh, information. So feel free to grab one of them. Their websites are on there. I think they even put their phone numbers on there, which is very brave. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, so... Feel free to connect with them. And um, yeah, if anyone's interested in being part of a workshop um, with Mark and Teresa at their house with Matt and Robin, um, that's going to be going through Mark and Teresa. So make sure you talk to them about it. Um, 
if you come to Kristen or I, we'll refer you to them. So, um, uh, yeah, so feel free to talk to Mark and Teresa about that. It'd be great. Um, I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Um, I love that if you look in Acts at the early church, that's exactly what the disciples were doing. They were just getting around people and saying, um, they were just getting around people and saying, let me tell you the story of how I met the Messiah. You know, so our stories and our testimonies, how we met Jesus, how we got involved in church, how we became Christians are so important. And that's really what's going to impact, you know, people's lives. Um, So, yeah, thank you, Matt and Robin. Appreciate you guys this time and sharing your gift with the church. I really enjoyed it. Um, So uh, in closing, we have um, Catherine's last day of being six today. Um, So if you guys want to stay and uh, celebrate with us. We have a cake and uh, what's that? Grieving. Grieving. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, well, some people are grieving. Some people are <laughs> celebrating. So. <laughs> yeah. But it's our seventh birthday tomorrow. So uh, we have a cake and we'll do um, a quick birthday thing with her. So uh, feel free to stay for tea and coffee with us uh, after service. And thank you all for coming. Conquer.